Only 4% of universities in the U.S. are R1 research institutions, and Temple University is one of them. This means 100% of students have the opportunity to participate in hands-on learning and research with world-class faculty. With over 600 academic programs across 17 schools and colleges, Philadelphia's largest public university provides students with a rich variety of opportunities and propels graduates to succeed in their careers. Temple University. Schedule a campus tour today at admissions.temple.edu. visit The Partially Examined Life Philosophy Podcast Part 1 episodes are designed to be self-contained, fully satisfying experiences in themselves. But for hardcore philosophy fans, we record for another hour or so to release behind our various paywalls to folks that pitch in to help us make this show. What you're about to hear is a preview of one of these Part 2 episodes. We hope you enjoy it. You're listening to The Partially Examined Life, Episode 287, Part 2. We've been discussing the first half of Roger Scruton's book, Beauty, from 2009. So maybe before we're done with Chapter 1 here, should we hit Kant a little harder, these final sections? Yeah. So I think before we move on to human beauty, because I think he kind of, with this first chapter, he's setting us up with the tools to solve some other puzzles that follow. We could just get into a little bit more what he says about Kant and disinterested interest. One of the qualifications here in his section called Beauty in the Senses is that what we're focused on aesthetically is not just the sensory. It might seem that way, right? Because it seems like exactly what aesthesis is all about. It's about the immediate sensory experience. His idea is that it's presented through the senses, but it's really to the mind because it has something to do with those sensations are ordered. So, you know, whether, for instance, it's music, where it's a matter of the way different tones are related to each other, or the way the parts of the story are related to each other, that's important. And that's something, again, contemplative. And, you know, one bit of evidence for that is just that when we taste and smell things, we don't typically think of them as aesthetic or candidates for judgments of beauty because they can't really be systematically organized in the, say, the way words and tones are. As much as foodies will object to that. And I, I might side with the wine snobs and the foodies and the people that, that do have developed enough senses of taste and smell. I just don't. I am a, a foodie and a wine snob, and I agree with him. You agree with Wes that it's not systematizable and so it's not beauty? You don't have a beautiful wine? I thought about this a lot over the past week while I was meditating on this. This is where there's a crossover into the subjective, the experience. I mean, I think this is a good bridge to the idea of the sensual versus intellectual experience or perception, whatever. That To say that a wine is beautiful is something different than to say that a canvas with paint on it in a certain arrangement is beautiful. It's a sight, sound, taste, and smell, and touch. I actually swizzled around in this when I was on my walk with my dog the other morning, <laughs> like thinking about the five senses and the concept of beauty in each of these senses. Sight and sound, I think we've got pretty much locked in. But is there such a thing as a beautiful touch? Could you touch something beautiful? Could you taste something beautiful? Could you smell something beautiful? I think you have to be able to. 
Well, touch in particular, especially like take a blind people to the statue museum and say, you can touch the statues as much as you want. You would think that if there really are, you know, some statues that are objectively more beautiful than others, that just because they can't see them, they could get the same shape. You know, is it really when we find a statue beautiful, is it really just because the same way that we find by sight? Or is it because the shape is something that is informationally we could get through touch? I don't know. The point being, what Scruton says is there's a level of conceptualization that vision and hearing allow for a certain type of conceptualizing that makes possible or informs this rich sense of beauty in a way that smell, taste, and touch don't. Yeah, systematic organization is the phrase he uses. So the systematic organization of the these different sensory elements in a way that will put us in touch with something that is beyond the sensory, in a way the intentional object kind of lies beyond that immediate experience, which is why he's going to go on to say in this section on disinterested pleasure that it's not the pleasure that you get in beauty or what he calls disinterested pleasure, right? It's never from a fact. So it wouldn't be from the fact, oh, I read this, you know, that I'm pleased that I read the poem because it was the right thing to do. I had to, I had to fulfill an obligation. Pleasure in beauty is not ever just pleasure in the immediate sense of sensory experience, like the warm bath. You know, it comes through the sensory. That's the medium. That's what it comes through. But that's not the particular object that you're focused on. The way we get to that object is through thought. Yes, that all makes sense. But that the way do we get to it being beautiful or speaking of beauty as a judgment of taste is through an activity of thought that's done onto the senses. In this section, he says, um, rather than something presented through the senses, it's rather as something presented through the senses to the mind. You know, he contracts with the luxuriousness of chocolate or an old wine. But it's completely unclear to me why you would exclude the mental activity of processing other senses. Unless you just say, well, look, the dynamic range of our, our sense of touch or our sense of smell is less sensitive, less available for mental contemplation. Or it's that maybe we've simply leveraged less articulation and language. We don't have a language of smell in the sense that we are, you know, have a grammar of smell and an articulation of smell the way we do for sound and for sight. I think with Mark's sculpture example, if you can feel your way to imagining the shape of sculptures, then you certainly can use touch to get to beauty. But I think, you know, the question is, why don't we say, oh, that was a beautiful, except metaphorically, that was a beautiful bath I just took. That bath was beautiful. It fails a number of different requirements, right? It's not an individual thing that we're interested in. It's just the experience we're interested in. It's just the pleasing experience of that. I'm not saying that there aren't things that are sort of simply pleasing experiences as a category and that the point isn't being made. I'm questioning whether or not the fact that other senses are excluded so that you can't talk about a beautiful cup of coffee or a beautiful bottle of wine. A beautiful meal is a different thing in terms of the aesthetic experience. You know, Seth gave the example of the arrangement of the resulting crafted object that is the wine in a glass of wine 
that I experience in my senses, not just through sight and sound and smell, but also through taste, that that isn't fundamental to calling it beautiful. And that, in fact, the taste and the smell are an integral component of the contemplative activity of understanding it as beautiful. And contrasting that with a painting where my experience of that is almost exclusively through sight. It's possible maybe you smell the oil, oil paintings, but it's almost exclusively through sight. And it seems to me that it does admit of being beautiful. Just like if I speak of the specific thing, the beauty, part of the beauty of going to a concert, a symphony, is going to be the physical experience of the sounds on your body. It's not just the notes that you happen to hear by the physical impediment on your ears. That particular concert, part of its beauty is going to be in the acoustics that literally shape the sound around your physical body, your sense of touch. Mm -hmm. All this is pointing to me, I really was surprised that I did not see any mention of Santayana in this entire book. The Sense of Beauty, the book that we talked about, which seems like an updated version of what I was attributing to Hume and ultimately Kant. And he just stresses like we can take pleasure in the matter of something or in the form of something. And the matter would include all sorts of individual sensations, even textures and smells and all the stuff. So you could just say, well, that's a kind of beauty, but it's just in the typical, the prototypical experiences of beauty where there's more mind involved that involves form. When we say there's a grammar and there's a way of arranging these things, like those are all formal elements. And there is something kind of superior to, you know, in that it's more intellectual and it's richer and provides more opportunity and engagement in engaging with the form of something. But certainly you would not want to pursue form at the expense of matter. And the best kind is going to have both. I'm thinking of like, you could have a really intricately designed symphony and program it into a really shitty synthesizer to make just like, so each individual note just comes out as a sine wave, as just a completely characterless piece of crap. And it would be so much better if you had an actual orchestra playing that or a more expensive synth. Matter is nothing to turn up your nose at. It's like a pretty essential part of beauty for us. And our, you know, the works of art that we often attend to are, are complex mixtures of this stuff too, right? So that's why, you know, especially with movies and books, there are plots, there are things that are, would constitute charm or they don't really count as aesthetic. So for instance, if I go to see The Born Identity, you know, let's suppose that at some level that could be, I don't think it is, but you know, that movie could have been filmed as a work of art aesthetically, right? And if it were, but it had the same plot, the aesthetics wouldn't be all that was interesting about the movie. I'd also be enjoy getting to watch Matt Damon kick a lot of ass. <laughs> what's so great about it and the excitement of that the thrill of that the way it engages my aggressive impulses all that stuff so that falls outside of the realm of the aesthetic but it could still be an aesthetic object with all that charm stuff mixed in so crouching tiger hidden dragon yeah and then really any movie even even very artsy movies they got to keep you interested right if there's some suspenseful plot there that sounds like a challenge for jim jarmusch or <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah i mean a lot of them don't keep you interested and don't try, but, you know. If that sounds like the kind of thing that you want to hear more about, then please go to partiallyexaminelife.com slash support. Thanks for listening. 
Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.